I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Happy holidays and welcome to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. We are a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema to explore what it makes what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and with me, as always, is Amanda Jane Stern. Every week, we analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that we ask is don't be crazy. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm God, it's been a day of deliverables, and it's good to not be doing deliverables right now. I don't know what that means, but it sounds stressful. <laughs> For movie distribution, it's just mm-hmm. going through all the paperwork, and we have it all. It's just, a, you know, it's so much paperwork. And I, I spent a lot of today like talking other indie producers through how to deal with SAG paperwork and what you need to keep records of and how to do music licensing. And I'm tired. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm glad. But now you got a fancy new MacBook you can uh, you can do that on because you're, you're so pro. I love it. it. It's so nice. <laughs> oh, my God. The camera is so much better. Everything mm-hmm. about it is so much better. Well, there and also, you go. I can edit things now because my Photoshop and Premiere would just crash on my old computer. Out with the old, in with the new, I say. Mm-hmm. End of the year. What do we got to lose, right? Um, and I want to introduce a a bosom friend of mine. We have been we have been pals for many years now. He is a first time caller, long time listener. Andrew, Andy Parker, how are you today, Andy? I'm doing really well. Uh, excited to be on here. I was actually going to lead with first time, long time, so I'm glad you brought it up. It's um, been such a long time. That's what I should have yeah. played you a little Boston before this. A little walk-on music. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, so uh, like you said, I'm Andy Parker. Um, I live in Rinky-Dink Town, Central Wisconsin, um, and... Uh, so really, I think the biggest thing for me when I got into film um, was five or six years old watching movies that were way too adult for me. Um, I can remember watching Terminator 2. Um, honestly, I think I was under 10 when I saw Showgirls. Um, oh, shit. You know, yeah. Oh, Andy, you and I could have some conversations about inappropriately watched movies. Mm-hmm. That's some um, spicy meatballs right there. You know, oh, so critically acclaimed, beloved film um, from an early age. And, um, you know, it's one of the cool things that connected us right away is uh, you being my first supervisor, my first job. We did movie rentals together, DVDs back in the day. Um, and I remember always just sharing trivia with you and really enjoying that. So I've always had appreciation for film trivia and kind of the behind the scenes uh, things. So all the flying and the magic. Yeah. That's what happens behind the scenes. <laughs> well, love having you on the show. It's always good to see you. I was going to Rickroll you to start the uh, podcast because Andy and I had an ongoing thing of Rickrolling each other when we played Halo. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, and most of the time I knew he was going to, but I still was like, I'm just going to click on it anyways. And yeah. It's like uh, Paul Rudd bringing the the Mac yes. and me. Oh, <laughs> yes, that, that'll never not be funny. It's I know. because Conan's reaction every time he just he's like, you know, you come on the show and you do this every time. <laughs> Paul Rudd is ev- just yep. so good. He's so, so funny. I used to actually bump into him on the street like a bunch. Because I guess really? he had a, a kid who went to school near an office I used to work at. And so I, I would just, I'd be, and I guess the time that school always let out always coincided with, I need to get out of the office. Why am I still here? I'm going to yeah. go take a really long walk hour. Um, and so there were multiple times where I'd walk right by him and we almost collide several times. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. He, he would be quite the guy to run into. I love him. I think he's hilarious. And uh, he's a treasure, national treasure. He's great. And he kind of looks like my dad. And it's really weird that everyone's so sexually attracted to him. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> well, speaking of a sexually attractive movie, we are going to continue our holiday season with 1983's A Christmas Story. Um I mean, it's, it's it's oozing sex. You got the leg lamp. You got that's about it. The leg lamp. It's very sexy. So uh, we are going to discuss this film, uh, beloved by many, hated by uh, uh, also many. But it was directed by Bob Clark. Now, Bob Clark has such an interesting resume. On his IMDb, his top three films are top four films are A Christmas Story. Black Christmas, which is completely opposite of a Christmas story. <laughs> Porky's, <laughs> which for anyone who doesn't know Porky's, it's basically super bad before super bad back in the 70s, I think. And then Baby Geniuses, a weird family comedy that I, for some reason, have seen about 10 times. Um, he is all over the place, Mr. Bob Clark. Um, I appreciate it. He's a, he's a man of many tastes. <laughs> almost as all over the place as George Miller. Yeah, Babe. Babe. <laughs> City and Mad Max. <laughs> Mad Max. Witches of Eastwick. Yep, I forgot about Witches. Happy Feet. Happy Feet, yeah. Yeah, exactly. no, all over the place. All over the place. But maybe we should do Black Christmas. Hey, hey, it's on streaming. I got uh, the shutter. I, I might be sick that day. Um, <laughs> so the movie was written by Gene Shepard, who also narrates the film, Lee Brown and Darren McGavin, who plays the father. The film stars Peter Billingsley, Melinda Dillon, Darren McGavin, Scott Schwartz, Gene Shepard, R.D. Robb, Ian Petrella, and Zach Ward. Critically, on IMDb, this movie is liked by many. It's at a 7.9 out of 10. And then the tomato meter, you got even uh, 89% for both audience and critics. So they really like this movie. Very fascinating. I don't know why this one scores higher than Jingle All the Way, but that's okay. So really? I, I don't know. So um, I I watched it on Max. Uh, it is streaming there because they also have the sequel on Max as well. Uh, what did you guys watch it on? I watched it on Max as well. I also watched it on Max. Woo! Where I checked the time code every few minutes. <laughs> so the budget for this movie was $3.3 million. And opening weekend was November 20th, 1983. It made about $2 million. So right off the bat, not too bad. Not a not a shabby opening weekend. Um, worldwide, it grossed about $20.8 million. So quite successful for a little Christmas flick. Couple fun facts from this movie. For the scene in which Flick's tongue sticks to the flagpole, a hidden suction tube was used to safely create the illusion that his tongue had frozen to the metal. Now, when I was a kid, that scene always disturbed the hell out of me when he comes back in with the bandage on his tongue because I was just terrified. And so anytime it'd be cold outside, if I saw like a, 
a post, like a metal post at a stop sign, I was just terrified of it because I didn't want my skin to get ripped off like his did. But yeah, I, don't know. I was terrified by how dirty and gross that pole was. It's pretty gross. I know. I live <laughs> in New York City and the idea of licking a pole here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hard pass on that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very hard pass. I'm just thinking about like poles in the subway when it's freezing. It's disgusting. It smells like piss. I wrote a sex scene in the subway in a subway station once, and I even had commentary like, "What are you doing? Do you know how many people have pissed here?" Oh God, maybe maybe that's what people are into. (laughs) Some people are. I don't kink shame. Nope. Ralphie tells three grown-ups, his mother, his teacher, and Santa, that he wants a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas, and they all turn him down. However, the one person he never thinks to ask, his father, is the one who gets him the gift. So there you go, kids. Don't give up asking. Just ask the other parent. <laughs> Usually the dad, because they know danger. The family eats meatloaf, red cabbage, and mashed potatoes for dinner every night. The only time they didn't eat it was Christmas Day when they went to Bowling's. And that is hilarious because I noticed that last night. I'm like, man, they eat a lot of red cabbage. I didn't realize they were eating the same meal every damn night. <laughs> Doesn't it look gross? Um, I don't think it looks that bad, honestly. I, I, I like meatloaf and I like potatoes. I even like cabbage. Um, I don't know how it tastes. Andy's a Midwesterner, so I, I mean, I, feel like I they eat that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> that has definitely been on my plate. Uh, probably not red cabbage. It's been just plain green cabbage, but it's definitely been those three on my plate more than once in the last seven years since I've lived here. Oh, um, that plate looked so unappetizing to me. Definitely way, more when flavorful the little brother was that. like eating yeah. it. Ugh. Oh, oh who's my so little piggy? Little who's piggy. my little piggy? <laughs> that was so disgusting oh. to me as someone who does not like certain sounds. Mm. Yeah. No ASMR for that one, huh? Oh, God, no. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> And then finally, the film setting is a town in Indiana, but it was actually filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. To find an American city resembling an Indiana town of the 1940s, director Bob Clark sent his location scouts to 20 cities before selecting Cleveland. Fascinating. I feel like you could find an old Midwesty looking town pretty much anywhere, but I digress. So, um, Okay. Uh, here's a synopsis. If you have not seen A Christmas Story, it's kind of short, so go ahead and jump ahead, maybe like two minutes. Set in in the nostalgic backdrop of 1940s Indiana, a Christmas story unfolds as a charming and humorous slice of life tale narrated by the now adult Ralphie Parker as he fondly reminisces about one unforgettable Christmas from his childhood. Nine-year-old Ralphie is consumed by a single all-encompassing desire, a Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle. However, every time he expresses his Christmas wish, he's met with the same response. You'll shoot your eye out. The film follows Ralphie's determined quest to convince the world, and especially his parents, that the Red Ryder BB gun is the only gift worth receiving. Along the way, he faces the trials and tribulations of growing up, including schoolyard bullies, a rather unusual pink bunny suit from Aunt Clara, and the infamous leg lamp proudly displayed in the family living room. Ralphie's father, referred to as the old man, wages a hilarious battle with a temperamental furnace while his mother navigates the challenges of holiday cooking and ensuring her family's well-being. The Parker family's quick dynamics are at the heart of the film, creating moments of warmth and laughter amid the Christmas chaos. As Christmas Eve approaches, Ralphie's anticipation reaches a fever pitch. Will his persistent hints and strategically placed Red Rider ads pay off, or will he be left disappointed on Christmas morning? The film climaxes with the iconic scene of Ralphie finally unwrapping the long-awaited gift, proving that sometimes dreams do come true in the most unexpected ways. 
A Christmas story captures the essence of childhood wonder, family traditions, and the timeless magic of Christmas. With its endearing characters and iconic moments, the film has become a beloved classic, cherished by generations as an essential part of the holiday season. So that is a Christmas story. It's it's kind of hard to, to get a plot for that film because it's a lot of vignettes and dream sequences, and it's not really coherent enough to describe the film, but you get the, the gist of it. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So the MacGuffin of the movie is the Red Rider BB gun. It's the thing that he's hunting for this entire time. It's the one present that he wants, um, and that's the focal point of the film. Uh, it is the only thing that Ralphie can even focus on during the holidays, up until the point when he does, in fact, shoot his eye out like a little idiot. <laughs> I know he's a kid, but I guess, is this a commentary on the dangers or at least like the warning signs of obsession? Like, Andy, I know you got kids. Mm-hmm. I am dating a person who has a child. And then Amanda, I don't know your relationship with any children in your life. But is this <laughs> is this a commentary on the dangers or at least like the warning signs of obsession? Um. I definitely noticed uh, just in the film how there were several times where uh, Ralphie was ignoring um, like when his friend um, Flick got beat up uh, after a couple scenes of them running from the bullies, how he just kind of was obsessed with getting his paper back from his teacher. Um, And so they left him out on his own in the playground. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think, um, there's definitely a note in there about uh, kind of having your blinders on. And, um, you know, as an, I think he was supposed to be nine years old in the film. I mean, what nine year old isn't uh, obsessed about whatever the latest and greatest is uh, last year for my daughter, it was a Nintendo switch. So that was all I heard for <laughs> three I months com- leading up to Christmas. Completely understand <laughs> having obsessions as a kid. I don't think for me it was really toys or things. I would have movie obsessions. Um, so, but it, it would be like, ooh, I this is the movie of the month for me and I have to watch it every single day. And, and I don't mind, I mean, like, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that, uh, of this. I mean, they're kids. We, we mm-hmm. all did it. It's, it's, you know, we don't have to really worry about much in life when you're a child. And um, so I don't think that there's necessarily anything inherently bad for that. But I do think like what Andy was saying with the blinders, that once you get to a certain age and if that just continues to define kind of who you are, mm-hmm. that's problematic. And so mm-hmm. Ralphie being, yeah, Ralphie being nine, if it carried over, um, that would be an issue. It, it didn't seem right. like his family had a ton of money. So this isn't a, se- a situation like in Jingle All the Way with with Jamie having pretty much everything. <laughs> Um, once that kid hits a certain age, if he just kept asking for the latest and greatest, I mean, that's a little, that's the entitlement. Um, that's the, the, the stress on, uh, possessions. And then that's also, you have to think that has to be some obsession too, of like having, always having the newest mm-hmm. thing and always having the, the quote unquote best thing. So it's that's consumerism. where consumerism. it's, it's the capitalist, you know, agenda. We always have absolutely. to buy the, the, wait, didn't we literally just talk about me replacing my laptop? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, and and I th- but I think there's a difference in that a little too, though, because you yes. use your laptop for this functionality. This is for work. For, yes, and my old one broke. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but even still, when yeah. I was buying it, I, I there was the mindset of, well, if I'm spending the money to get a new one, I'm just going to get the newest one and not get you know an older model because this will last me at least a couple years longer. And at this point, 
the price difference isn't great enough for me to say, well, I'll spend less on the older model versus getting the newest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think they did well in the film was that it wasn't that he was obsessing over something everyone else already had. It was, yeah. and I think only one of his other friends wanted it. So it wasn't like this big, the whole gang wants it. We're going to go. It was just like, oh, that's the cool thing. It was um, his obsession. It was, it his, was obsession. his obsession. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like that. So it wasn't like the Turbo Man doll um, from Jingle <laughs> Everyone has that, but everyone's right. getting the new Turbo Man. Doable I'm going to be such a loser if I don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I like that, that that twist was on it. And I think, you know, I don't know about, you know, what the consumerism was in the 40s. Um, obviously very different than now. Um, but I like and, and tops and jacks, right? <laughs> Lots of jacks. Um, you know, his backup was a Tinker Toys, but a football yeah. was too lame. Um, yeah, and <laughs> kind so of Midwest kid says that, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think um, uh, uh, what the movie did really well, and I'm going to touch on this briefly because I'm going to talk about it kind of throughout the, the show. Uh, so the um, the penultimate scene when they're unwrapping the presence at the house, uh, just how they use the editing to cut between those close-ups of them ripping open packages and then looking at the things and even them looking at like socks, both of the brothers look at each other, throw it over their shoulder, and then they go for more more presents. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I did that when I was a kid to a degree. I was always really thankful for all my presents, honestly. But I mean, I've experienced this with my nephews where I spent a lot of time getting them a present and really thinking about it. And they did the exact same thing. They open it, look at it, and they're like, next, put it to the side and keep going. And they're kids, I get it, but it does kind of hurt a little. And I think the film captures that experience of Christmas morning for pretty much anyone um, where, yeah, kids for the majority are, are going to be just opening things quickly. And mm. and I think that's where I kind of came up with this question where I'm thinking, I'm like, man, are we just, even the parents too, you know, the dad's like, no tie this year? So maybe it's not exactly obsession. It could just be want and be like, well, this is my opportunity to get a new tie. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I get a new tie? So a little disappointment. And I mean, we've all been disappointed during Christmas. You can't say that you haven't been. You've been like, damn it. I wanted that instead of this. But um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So honestly, I'm, I'm such a like. I'd rather gift experiences kind of yeah. person at this point. That I do have I have two very young siblings who are uh you know 20 years younger than I am. One is 9 and one is 11. Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Better get that right. <laughs> I'm trying. They're almost 10 and 12. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh and so when it comes to holidays, their birth and their birthdays are pretty close. My fiance and I try to just do things with them instead because yeah. at this point we know we are so much older than they are. So there and and we live in New York City, so there are things that we can take them to that are going to be more interesting than just buying a toy. Um, she has gotten very into theater and performance. So, you know, following in, in my footsteps, um, but she can sing and I can't. Uh, and so <laughs> when Broadway had reopened for one of their one of their birthdays, because I'm very good friends with the guy who plays Scar and the Lion King on Broadway, we bought tickets and we took them to go see it. And we said, you cool. know, we'll, we'll go. We have great seats and then we're going to go hang out with him and you're going to meet Scar. 
And we're like, we're doing that instead of buying you any toy or anything. Yeah. That's awesome. And I agree with that. I think experiences are are, are fantastic because they're la- they're more lasting, right? And mm-hmm. especially if you can catch them at that age where it's their formative years and they're really just, they can start thinking for themselves and like, holy crap, I love theater and I like this way better than something that's, you know, tangible like this cup or whatever. It's like an actual um, emotional experience of going and seeing <laughs> Lion King on Broadway, which I've never done. So, oh, it's like, amazing. It is, yeah. it is truly a magical experience. It, it's yeah. insane. I, I can only imagine. Um, so A Christmas Story is it's somewhat of a low risk divisive film, like I discussed kind of at the start. People either love it or they despise it mostly for the most part. Much of this can be attributed to the fact that on TNT, the channel for all you Gen Z's who didn't know what that was, it was on cable. We know drama. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It always plays for 24 hours straight from Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I guess you guys, what are your thoughts on this? And did this hurt the movie ultimately? Um, So I will say going into when you told me the movie uh, we were going to do this week, I was dreading it. I was like, <laughs> this movie sucks. All it is full of references and um, and that's it. Um, and then I watched it and it is full of references and that's it. Um, <laughs> but it's at least different than I remember because I always remember the out of sequence, watching it midway yeah. through, catching it. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Tuning in for a specific scene because it was just on loop right so nonstop. yes oh, um but uh after this viewing uh the last i've watched it now three times i watched it with my kids one time uh as well and uh it's better than i remember so i will give it credit there um <laughs> glowing review as a as a film uh it's good um <laughs> A, a as a Christmas film, it's, it's great. I think as a Christmas film, it's great. As a movie, it's good. Um, and and ultimately, um, it's um, it's just that scene to scene to scene. It's all set up, set up, set up, payoff, mm-hmm. set up, set up, payoff. Which ultimately is again, film is that. Um, <laughs> But it was very black and white, cut and dry. Like, oh, they were setting that up. They were setting this up. And it sounds like it, you loved it so yeah. much. It's a, it's a paint by numbers kind of. It kinda is. Yes. It yeah. it was written by an author. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. Well, um, and Gene Shepard was trying to adapt it for a good ten exactly. years. So yeah. So from his his book, and that's what that, it felt like. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh-huh. again, it's a great christmas movie it's a good movie it's a movie <laughs> well and i think that's important to distinguish too because i mean we talked about it and matt said it best on on jingle all the way he's like in my heart you know jingle all the way is an a plus or whatever i don't want to speak for him I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. but then he's like but from a film standpoint yeah. you know it's like more like a c or something and same mm-hmm. thing with this from my heart a christmas story is is ranked high i'll save it for the end but mm-hmm. it's ranked pretty high. But from a, a thematic and like a film standpoint, it's not the best. <laughs> it feels very much like a long episode of a TV show that it does kind of just doesn't yeah. really it, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Right. Um, 
And so that's I, that's a bummer. But I also just mm. found myself not caring. Yeah. And being like, oh, great. You know, I, I obviously remembered watching it in childhood and tuning in at different points on TNT. My mom was a fan of the movie. My personal favorite marathon that any channel did during Christmas was on the Sundance channel. They did a Mel Brooks Oi to the World. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I was into that. I love Mel um, Brooks. Right? He's That's great. Awesome. Spaceballs. I watched that when I was five. Spaceballs Interesting too. Interesting things to watch when you're five. Um, <laughs> yeah. Probably added to my weird Bill Pullman crush through childhood. Um, oh, <laughs> but... Yeah, no, I, like you, Andy, I was dreading this, and I put it on, and I was pretty bored, I'm not going <laughs> to lie, I was pretty bored, the nostalgia just doesn't hit me, and I just didn't care, and then it got really loud with all the children <laughs> screaming, and I did not like that, and I, I love children, I do, I, it's not that, I, it was just loud, and I didn't mm-hmm. care, and they were annoying, and then I went and watched a horror movie after I finished. So. A palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. This movie definitely suffers from that fatigue then of us because mm-hmm. we've all seen it multiple times. So mm-hmm. I think that's why my second part I was asking, I think it ultimately hurts the movie, unfortunately. And so I'm trying to think of it on a, on a brighter lens and, and think about the times that I watched this movie growing up. I mean, one of my greatest like fondest memories of Christmas time is everyone has Christmas traditions, right? Ours was always like we had a detached garage and uh, we had four, four kids detached garage. And the oldest kid always got to go live up in the, in the room up in the detached garage, kind of like a, basically an apartment. It was cool. And we had intercoms. Um, And so like we would all, all uh, four kids would go sleep up there the night of Christmas, but we would leave this movie playing all throughout the night. We go to bed at like midnight, wake up at like five in the morning or something like that. Right. And, and the movie's still on. And then we'd come on down when our parents would hit the intercom and say, you know, Santa came, we'd run on down there and open our presents. And I always just remember that was bookended by a Christmas story. Like we started with it, we ended with it. And so that was, it always holds, holds a special place in my heart. And I think, unfortunately, it sounds like I don't want to speak for you guys. I think the fatigue of this movie really affected us because it's been some years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And understanding film a little bit better now and appreciating it more, I'm just like, oh, I'd rather watch something different at this point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the fatigue is definitely, and that, and there are movies that I still have extreme nostalgia for and mm-hmm. still watch, you know, every year. Not on loop nope. though. I, sure, you know, there's right. there's a rule. It's it's the once a year you get to revisit it rule. I do this with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Don't ask. <laughs> it's really weird. If we ever cover it, you will learn some very interesting things about me. But that's my, it's a once a year rule. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any, do you guys have any movies that you do keep on repeat? Whatever genre they may be. Like you could actually watch them back to back to back to back. Mm. Not anymore. I used to be that way. I used to really, really. And and look, this is like childhood undiagnosed mental illness probably. <laughs> but um, I, I had a phase where I was obsessed with the 1968 Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. watched it hmm. every single day and then it was Shakespeare in Love You're probably noticing a pattern <laughs> um, you know and, and the amount of times that I watched those movies insane and I can still watch them but not like I could when I was younger yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I had some I think childhood ones uh, Aladdin comes to mind um, you know, mm-hmm. the Disney movies like that. I think Lion King, I had a phase on too. Um, but yeah, now that I'm older, um, there's definitely ones that 
I, I couldn't do a loop of like in a day watch on repeat. Um, but there are certain films that if I've got somebody new with me that hasn't seen it yet mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. is seeing it for the first couple times. Do you sit there and I, stare at them and see how they're interpreting that's it? That's what I do. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Hey, wait, wait, you're going to see this part in Lord of the Rings? Oh, my God. And you're God. like, wait, no, be quiet. This is like the best yeah. part. Just wait for what's about to happen. Oh, my God. Um, Candace will text during movie sometimes, and I'm like, "Can you get off your, your phone, phone for a down. second? Because like a good part's coming up, and I'm like, this is crucial." <laughs> no, I will do that too. I'll be like, "No, no, no, put your phone down. You have to watch. You have to see. Wasn't that the sexiest bit I told you?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gandalf, he's a sexy machine, isn't he? <laughs> sure. I'd like to make a pass. I'd take his beard. <laughs> you shall not pass. I shall pass on that. Wait, oh yeah, uh, right. never mind. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so recently, uh, I introduced a friend to Hot Fuzz, uh, probably my, my favorite movie of all time. I watched that recently. And, and so it was just watching all the gears turning and then quizzing them at the end, like, hey, did you notice and, and Mm -hmm. getting some of those things. That's a great twist. The, the Mm -hmm. twist with it. That is a really good, I don't don't, love all the editing anymore. It's very of its time. Yeah, it's like, right. He oh, loves, you know, but he that, loves doing yeah. that. That yeah. 2006 style editing, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is really jarring right now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not into that style anymore, but I really right. did love the story. The, Which, like, that twist is fantastic. Yeah, and that editing is great in that film because it parodies the action films it's oh, parodying. Yeah. And it's, it's very great, much of that time. Like, it knows what oh it's Oh my doing. gosh, the Michael Bay whiplash is and real. Yeah, it yeah. really makes yeah. me think, oh God, I, mm-hmm. I remember those movies. I, that... It is. Yeah. It's so frenetic. I'm just like, what's going <laughs> on? I'm like overstimulated right now. <laughs> well, there's and he does. I mean, to, to anybody who who hasn't seen Edgar Wright films, like I'll show them that scene when uh, Nicholas Angel goes from uh, the London Metropolitan Police all the way to that small town. Mm-hmm. And basically mm-hmm. what happens is in a 30 second segment, not probably not even it shows the passage of time and and how arduous the journey is for Nicholas to go from London to this tiny town where he's taking a plane, a train, and then a bus. And it's it's done by tight editing and close-ups of his ticket or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a side shot of him going, passing through with like, he's clearly on a bus. And then uh, you introduce the scores that Edgar Wright is famously known for all his ridiculous needle drops and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's just done so well. And that movie is infinitely hilarious. I laugh like every time at pretty much every anything time. in that movie. I so, love yeah. Timothy Dalton chewing the scenery in that movie. Oh. Lock me up. Yes. I'm a slasher. He's so good. <laughs> He's so good in that. You it's could just like, oh, it so really much, hurt. <laughs> so much as I think the kids today are saying Riz. He got Riz. <laughs> he got some Riz. He Timothy. got Riz. <laughs> he was James Bond for a movie. I mean, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. He's got, there's a lot of charisma oozing off mm-hmm. that man. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I want to jump back to a Christmas story because I can talk yes. about hot yep. all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the movie is based in 1940s Americana, and it's it's glaringly apparent throughout the movie. Andy talked about references. I mean, it is very, very apparent that this is the 1940s. So mm-hmm. I guess, how does this movie evoke a sense of nostalgia for the past? Like, what elements contribute to this feeling, and how might it resonate with different generations of viewers? Uh, one of the first things that came to mind for me was that I feel like this film in the 40s or i guess of that time uh when people look back at that time i think that spans more a larger passage of time so if they're thinking back to the 40s i think a lot of the same kind of things um 
the dad, the type of dad he was, uh, things like that spanned a longer amount of time. So leading probably into the sixties, you had that more of that type of man in say a Midwest, small Midwest mm-hmm. town. That's um, true. And you know, the meatloaf the and potatoes, exactly? it was supposed to be, I think 1940. I don't know. It okay. might've been um, yeah, just, it was kind of ambiguous. Um, the forties are a very interesting time when you think right. about mm-hmm. global politics and, and depending right. on when in the forties, what yeah. was going on in the world, the war mm-hmm. and everything. So yep, yeah. that thing, that, yeah. that, that thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think when say our parents saw that movie and they looked back, they felt a lot more, um, more of that nostalgia, even if they weren't from the forties, uh, because they were still kind of seeing some of that. Whereas I think somebody, you know, for us growing up in the eighties, when this film was made or born in the eighties or early nineties, when this film was made, um, you know, 80s and 90s feel significantly different to us mm-hmm. than I feel like the older generation, the 40s to the 60s felt. And so I think that's where that nostalgia, you know, is kind of where I was going with that. Um, so I think, um, you know, ultimately it's going to be a lot different for people in bigger cities too, uh, where progress is a lot quicker, um, mm-hmm. you know, that commercialism as well. Um, yeah, I'm a city person. Yeah, I'm I'm a like long time city person. My family is they're city people. They are all of my grandparents, except for one, are from New York City. So they all, you know, my my and my grandmother moved here when she was 16, like left home, met my grandfather on the street. And then they, you know, lived mm-hmm. in sin in the village and hung out with the beat generation. <laughs> I'm not kidding. My grandfather has a weird thing about Bob Dylan, um, who hung out in the city at the same time in the same group and rode a motorcycle. And if you ever mention Bob Dylan's name to my grandfather, he will go on the longest, <laughs> angriest rant. And I have a theory that something happened with my grandma and Bob Dylan because oh, why on earth would he go on this rant? And mm-hmm. it happens every time his name comes up. So that's my my like deep cut theory about my Damn. family history. <laughs> um, but just to say that like, yeah, we don't, I don't have, and none of my family has that same kind of nostalgia just because you know, they at that time they were in tenements on the Lower East Side and in row houses and Flatbush living in the Bronx near, you know, Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. It was not it was a very different world. Right. Um, one thing I was going to ask, so then, um, like in the film, um, were Christmas trees common that, you know, of for them, like in a Christmas tree, putting it up and like going to a lot? Well, they're Jewish. So right. no, um, right. but no, my grandfather's Italian. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he had a, a big Italian Catholic family. Okay. I don't know so much about Christmas trees though. Okay. Yeah. just thinking of that kind of that family moment, go and get the tree, yeah, picking out the tree, old man haggling big, with the guy, you know. They did the just, big like Italian family Christmas dinners and mm-hmm. stuff. So I imagine that they had a Christmas tree, but that's not sure. so much like, and they were also pretty poor so oh, presents true. and stuff mm-hmm. you know i know the stories yeah. about the presents that were gifted and when someone finally got the the big doll of the year because i remember there was a story about his cousin Jeannie getting the the doll that 
her you could feed her she came with like fake food oh. and then his cousin and it was like the big christmas gift that year and then Jeannie like putting real human food in the doll's mouth and it becoming a whole problem. Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> also like, don't yeah. make dolls like can allegedly eat. That's really weird. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I grew up in, in, it wasn't a like a Midwest town. I mean, I've never been outside of Washington State. I'm sorry. I've never lived outside of Washington State. I've been all over. I, I'm a traveler. But um, the, my town was small to a degree. I don't know if it was as small as this town. I mean, I think it's ambiguous in the sense of they don't really, this is just any 1940s Midwest Americana. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's insert whatever town in there. And I think that's, that's on purpose. They want to um, invoke the, or evoke this emotion into the viewer that resonates and stuff. And so for us, we had that smaller town. So I could feel a lot of this kind of stuff where, Mm -hmm. you know, you do have one friend gets a Red Rider BB gun. You're like, oh, that would be a really good gift. I want that. I'm going to ask Santa for that next year. Um, mm. And you get your like bullies and stuff. So I think there were little notes throughout the film that hit for me, I should say. But I talked about the nostalgia. And I think that's why I give this movie much more credit. And I'm, I'm just going to pose this to both of you. Like what you're talking about when I asked the previous question, you both have seen this several times and surely that probably unlocked a memory for you of you waking up a certain morning and you wanted sausage, but your mom gave you bacon or something like that. And a Christmas story was on or whatever, right? It unlocked some sort of memory. And I think for that reason, that's why I ranked this movie higher, but, but nostalgia is very much at the center of, of why this movie still exists today and why it's still played often and why you still get people that do put it on their top five movies, Christmas movies of all time. Um, generational, genera- generationally, it's going to change, like Andy's saying. Mm. I don't know if I could show this to... Well, I showed it to to Candace's daughter, and she was laughing. She's eight. So, I mean, but part of that was because I was laughing. So maybe that <laughs> kind of rubbed off a little bit. Yeah, my uh, my daughter, uh, seven, and uh, she she was glued the whole time to the TV. I think seeing... Uh, a film with from a kid's perspective like it was was really captivating to her and i think just how different of a time it was uh too she was really interested in that um so it definitely translates to younger kids um but yeah i don't think it it triggers any nostalgia form i'm hoping it will in the future Mm. um but I, I don't think it necessarily brought up anything from the last couple of years for of necessarily Christmas traditions or anything we've done as a family. This yeah. is that shitty movie that dad showed us uh, <laughs> uh-huh. that one year in 2023 for Christmas. I remember. So <laughs> right? nostalgic. Yeah. He was so into it. What did he find so I funny know. about that? I, mean, yeah. I just don't dad, get it. <laughs> right. See, what's interesting is because we keep talking about how it is set in the 40s and the nostalgia factor. And we've definitely talked about it a lot on this podcast. And we did, you know, Sunset Boulevard from 1950 pretty recently. I am a huge old movie buff. I mm-hmm. love classic Hollywood. I love old, old cinema. So just give me an old movie, you know, yeah. just just give me one of those. So do you not like I, this movie is obviously made uh, 37 or 33 years later, mm-hmm. whatever. I can't do math. Um, anyhow, it was different. 37. It was different because, you know, like that movie's going back and it's it portraying the 40s. Whereas a film that was made 43, I just did math in my head years later, is a little different 
because it's not filmed in that time. This is an 80s film. This mm-hmm. isn't a 40s film. So did that affect it for you? Do you think like if this movie was made in the 40s or 50s, like It's a Wonderful Life, would this hit better for you? No, Personally? I don't love It's a Wonderful Life either. It's too schmaltzy <gasps> for me. <laughs> it's so schmaltzy. And I'm also, I, I get kind of mad at the end that the asshole doesn't like properly get his comeuppance. He's really bad. In It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. Yeah. He, but- he like deserves some real, real that's shit to happen. That's not the point. That's not the point. That that hits. It bugs me. Not everything's a storybook ending, and it's about appreciating your life. To my brother George, the richest Ugh. man in town. <laughs> it's um, so schmaltzy. I just I can't do that level of schmaltz. It it makes me cringe. Let let me let me ask this: Is nostalgia a bad thing? Like, do we I mean, look at look at how time is a circle, right? And we see all these people wearing clothes that we threw away 10 years ago. And they're they're wearing like corduroys. And I'm like, oh, my God, I had so many corduroys in the <laughs> 90s. And now they're thrown away. Um, but like we're seeing all this stuff come back. I mean, they're at a certain time at Target. They had they were selling cassette tapes and VHS. I'm like, why? VHS is terrible quality. Cassette is terrible sound. But people wanted that, you know, that nostalgic feel. Or think about any time that there's a friends reunion or a new season of Dexter or whatever, like 10 years later. I mean, why do we, why do we need nostalgia? Is it, is it a dangerous grabs? Right. But I mean, Mm -hmm. but, but is nostalgia in a general sense, is it a bad thing? (sighs) Yeah. No. And yes. I mean, I'll point out there's a typewriter behind me. It works. There's a record player over there. I use it. You know, I I think there's a difference between appreciating things from the past, enjoying the history. As I said, old movies, I love them. I love the history. It's not about times being easier things. And I think, and also I went through high school every single day. I dressed like I I was a World War II era pan-up girl. I still do that (laughs) occasionally. Um, I love the style. I love the hair. I love the makeup. But I also understand that the time periods themselves had a lot of issues. And I think a big issue with nostalgia is looking back at things with these rose-colored glasses and, and pretending that everything was peachy keen or that we look at things and we're like, oh, well, everything was so pure and innocent. And I love to shatter that fucking ceiling. And, <laughs> and when people say, oh, well, movies were so clean and PG, I'm sorry. No, there was a haze code, which meant that they had to, you know, adhere to these stupid Catholic morality standards. But also those movies were horny. Just because you're overlooking it doesn't mean they're not there. And if you watch things from the pre-code era, 30 to 33, holy shit, the things that happened in them could put some of us today to shame. So, you know, times weren't more, you know, innocent and rosy. We just Mm -hmm. don't love to acknowledge that people have always been the same that they will always be. Yeah, um... It's funny you say that because uh, one thing I noticed at the beginning of the movie is they, um, even though it was shot and made in the 80s, um, the parents have separate twin beds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> Which I don't know how common that was for normal. No, I didn't think wasn't. so. Right. That was a total film, so it was total a style thing. Um, and I, the one thing I like about... Um, a Christmas story with the narration is that it leaves some of those kind of things. Um, so like, I know there was debate um, in the trivia about uh, when exactly it takes place. Some people think it takes place earlier than 1940. Um, but I, the way it's narrated, 
I think is a great way to chalk up to the narrator, mis- like adult Ralphie kind of misremembering things mm-hmm. or blurring those years. That's a good point. Um, yeah. His and parents blurring did those not have sex. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. no one's parents have sex. Right. No. What is this, this three-letter word you speak of? Nope. Um, and so I think, you know, being able to use that, they were able to kind of help blur that. And I think they did do a good job of, of doing that if they did it on purpose um, or were at least, you know, you could explain it away with kind of some narrator um, flourish or misremembering. Um, um, And so I think even as the narrator um, was retelling a story, you can feel the nostalgia. He's, he's trying to, you know, if he's telling the story to his kids, he's trying to, trying to evoke that too. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I think you made a but, pretty good point there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think um, I, I think you you nailed it. I think yeah. that's a that's a good point. The narration does play a pretty yeah. big factor in this, mm-hmm. and it is smart to say you know we misremember things, um, mm-hmm. and I think those are exemplified by his dream sequences or. A part that I really like is when he's writing the essay and he's reading it to himself and he goes, wow, that's really good. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on, Ralphie, that's not that good, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my works. God. Have you ever found essays that you wrote when you were younger and when yeah. you turned them in, you thought they were great and then you read them and you're like, what did yeah. I write? This is the cringiest <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, I've done that before. I too. found the first screenplay I ever wrote and dear God, it is bad. <laughs> so glad that did not get made because, whew. Yeah. Um, okay. So even though this movie is about a boy looking for a gun, it's it's more, I know I say that very, very um, <laughs> abruptly, but it is more heavily focused on the dynamics within Ralphie's family. How do they handle conflicts and what does the film suggest about the nature of familial relationships during the holiday season? Andy... I'm working on it. I, I had it and I lost I, it. It's all good. Um, I'll, I'll start with something real quick. So families are crazy. Uh, holidays are crazy. Okay. I come from a family of six. It is this, like I said earlier, nailed the opening of the, of the Christmas presents thing where it's like, you know, he's like, Ralphie, do you want to play Santa? We always had one person that would give each person a gift and we would go in order. We watch one person open a gift then the next person, the next person. We didn't un- unwrap them all crazy like that, but it was very much a wrapping paper ripped everywhere you don't even really clean it up my mom had a trash bag so she'd always put it in there but like there'd still be a mess everywhere and you just have so many your hall is so great and you're just yeah a zephyr right and you're playing with a zephyr so this this nails the familial thing um with how he treats his little brother she's like you know you have to take randy and he's like oh mom i don't want to take randy so there's i think i think it really hits that and i think that's what this movie is more about Mm -hmm. um so the the parallel with the old man and Ralphie, I think, is is huge. So um, we're shown from the beginning the old man and his swearing and, mm-hmm. you know, his his reaction to things. And so by the time we get to the scene where they're changing the tire outside. Oh, fudge. Uh, yeah. Oh, fudge. Oh, fudge. <laughs> but I didn't say fudge. <laughs> Mother of all words. <laughs> um, and the old man looks surprised as if he's never heard that word in his yeah. life. Wait, and where knows. on earth could you have heard right. the word? I know. And, and mom, yeah. And the mom <laughs> acts, filthy. you know. She screams. <laughs> and I, I just loved when she's on the phone with the other kid's mom about to get him in trouble. Well, do you know where he heard it from? 
yeah, from his father. <laughs> and she just totally, um, you know, deflects it and says, no, your son. Um, that part's funny. It's such an interesting, I mean, I, and I think they nailed it for the forties. Um, but just that, that, um, husband wife dynamic too, mm-hmm. where he's so out of touch and is in his world. He goes to work, he comes home, he, beats on his uh, furnace. He beat, he tries to work on his car and it's always he breaking. falls in love with that leg lamp. He yeah, falls in love. Yeah. So much. <laughs> you know, he's constantly trying to win things and win money and prizes and be a big deal. Um, and, you know, the mom is at home taking care of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did a really good job of showing just how much she loves the kids and didn't show her as kind of being just the sad mom at home. Um, and that she didn't really take a whole lot of the dad's crap. Um, even though he thought he was running the house that she, you know, like most women were, uh, then, and even now she was running that house and keeping things together. Yep. He just so, read his funnies. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's all just, do. yeah. Keep reading your funnies. Read yeah. his First, funnies. Just the furnace. Yep, yep. And fight that damn furnace and, mm-hmm. and the dogs. <laughs> so, <laughs> what about you, Amanda? I don't think I have anything extra insightful to add that hasn't been said, to be honest. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of reiterate what you guys have said. Yeah, I think um, – the the part that resonated with me the most um, in the sense of the the conflict and uh, what you know you do when you're in trouble with in, in a family like so I mean my mom used to wash our mouth out with soap but it was like hand soap or you'd get one time I had a, a bar of Dial soap in my mouth and for like ten seconds uh, not as long as Ralphie has it but yeah my mom definitely has like pumped uh, liquid soap into her hand and, and washed my mouth out and it was disgusting so like that hits and I can see that. But I also think that that is something that she probably learned growing up from her parents. Like they did that to her, like putting a stake on your eye or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of carried over. So like what Andy was saying earlier, this is probably our parents probably felt this movie more than we did um, for mm-hmm. that nostalgic sense. But uh, I do think that I do think that they they do a good job of kind of giving agency to all of their characters because I do. I do agree. Maybe the mom wasn't shown in the best light, but I still think she had agency and she still contributed her own ways and had some mm-hmm. brilliant moments in the movie too. Oh, yeah. The dad wasn't but, shown in the best light either. And it's he, also, you're yeah. watching it through the prism of someone's memories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like yeah. the dad for, for what he was, was just kind of, um, kind of a lame duck at, at times. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's why he coveted the, the leg lamp so much is because, he got a telegram saying he won something and he thought it was money. Like he, he right. was like, Oh, this is, this is it. Right. Yeah. A then, bowling alley. And he, but nope, it was that. And it, yeah. when you double down and you get a leg lamp, he's just like, Oh, this is beautiful. I want to see it from the street. Like the mom is so embarrassed. And she's like, no, <laughs> like, it's just, it's wonderful. And I think I've done that where I've been like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The spray bottle. Oh, this is the best spray bottle I've ever won. And yeah. So like, you kind of have to, you kind of have to make something out of nothing, especially back then when they probably didn't have as much. So I thought that was neat. Um, so have you guys personally ever had a Christmas story like situation in your life where you just wanted a specific present more than anything in the world? And if you did, what was it and what happened? Um, so I, my, I think the only 
toy or thing that I ever really got obsessed for and really kind of got on a bandwagon for was a Game Boy Color when I was 10 or 11 or 9 or 10. Uh, Pokemon Gold had just the Pokemon games that came out, Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, and so that was that was the thing. And I was all on board. Um, my birthday is real close to Christmas. Um, Ooh, when are you? The 20th. Okay, I'm so, December yeah, 2nd, com- so I'm in the um, beginning of this coming season. Coming up soon. So for my birthday, I got a Game Boy Color. Stoked. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. I had to wait five days to get a game to play <laughs> that Game Boy Color. Sucks so I suck. <laughs> for five days, I would flip it on. It would say Nintendo, and that's it. That's all they did back then. Turned it back off and had to wait till Christmas Day to get my game. Oh. So that was... Um, that's probably the closest thing where, you know, that was, I knew what I wanted and it was just a matter of waiting for it. Had to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> I miss Game Boys a lot. Yeah. I think, I think I have it. Actually, I see it right now. It's still here. So. I never really knew a specific present I wanted. I mean, usually I would just be, when I was a kid, I was happy if you gave me a doll because. You know, I played. I, I would like to go to like I like going to flea markets and finding old Barbie dolls that were weird looking. Um, yeah, weird Barbie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of weird Barbie to be honest. Um, so I, it was kind of like, you know, there would be bigger years where my family would say, "Okay, well, what's the thing you want?" I honestly don't know. Like, eh, I, eh, I don't know. Dinner. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, there'd be a year where I'd be like, oh, I want a digital camera or I want a record player. And then they'd go, great, we know what to get you. But I I never really like, you know, it, it, there just wasn't a specific thing that ever really occurred to me as like, I want this gift. This means so much to me. Or I guess maybe, you know what, the, probably the closest now that I'm like talking out loud and thinking would be American Girl Dolls. Mm-hmm. Those had a real mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. I think they're still having a moment, but they really had a moment. And I remember there was a, the doll Felicity and she kind of looked like me. She had red hair. <laughs> this was before they were making the ones to look like you mm-hmm. um, when it was just the originals. And I, that was like, I really wanted a Felicity doll. I don't know what Felicity dolls are. It's well, the it's she's it's the, the colonial the yeah. oh yeah colonial okay. American now girl doll she's got red hair yeah okay I got you it's like Angela from the office with red hair in season one <laughs> I'm gonna go shop at what she <laughs> what? with the high collar I'm and go the... shop at the doll store she doesn't have a high collar no no it's it's like a blouse collar oh okay hmm. yeah that's like that is way way too much for Angela then <laughs> um. Anyway. um yeah, so I, I wanted a Nintendo 64. It was the greatest Christmas gift I ever got. Um, I just remember getting it, and I was blown away. I was so excited. Um, yeah, it was everything I ever wanted, and it was... I still have mine to this day, actually, and I got it when I was probably 10. So th- uh, how old am I? 36. Uh, 90, so, 96, yeah. 97, yeah. Yeah, so like 20-something years later, give or take. I don't know how old I was, but yeah, it was um pretty incredible stuff, and... I, that, that's like the only thing I ever wanted. I never had a situation where I'd shoot my eye out or whatever. Um, I, I I did want BB guns when I was a kid, but it was never like, hey, you're going to get hurt with this. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's it, it makes for a good story. It just doesn't make for good real life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Finally, Christmas Story. Where does this movie rank in your top ten Christmas films of all time? Clearly, number one for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a Christmas movie, I put it at nine. Um, my list is pretty contemporary i'd say the last 30 years with a couple movies that are a little older um but after if you would have asked me a week ago this movie wouldn't have been top 25 um (laughs) christmas movie probably for me um but yeah it squeaked into the top 10 um it's i think i'll do a once a year viewing of it uh going forward if i have time um and think of it but I'm not going on my way to watch it on TNT or TBS. Do we even have cable ever. anymore? Who has right. TNT? <laughs> right. I had TNT for uh, during the NCAA basketball tournament because they have games on there. So I have the app and I just use my friend's cable login and I'll just watch it on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't watch TV shows on TNT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking like, you know, Christmas Eve at grandma's house who yes. has cable and probably would love watching that movie. It is so. a good like family holiday, like when you're when you're at a house and yeah. like Amanda was saying, you kind of watching bits and pieces as you're kind of mm-hmm. walking on and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, catch we catch the Mel Brooks references. At home. Yeah, <sighs> love Mel Brooks. Baseballs was our <laughs> holiday movie. So good. Okay, then what does this rank in your top ten Christmas films? Is okay. it even in? Is it even no, in your? It's top not 10? in my top ten. Not that I've really ever put together a top ten of Christmas films. I, as I said, going into the the season, I don't love it. I don't yeah. <laughs> love Christmas movies. Um, Sunset Boulevard goes through Christmas. That's great. Die Hard's great. I actually enjoy the 45-minute cartoon of How the Grinch Stole Christmas because Thurl Ravencroft, Ravencroft, yeah, it's his last name's voice, he sings the song, is great. Um, and yes, that was a reference to his other character, Tony the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I wouldn't really say I have a, a, a Christmas top 10. My thing is I... Do my best to avoid Christmas music. Um, and I watch horror movies and I like Die Hard. Yeah, you know what? I like The Holiday a lot, actually. It's probably the like most real Christmas movie I actually enjoy because it is the least Christmassy of the Christmas <laughs> movies. That's least fair. Christmassy of the Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have so much holiday spirit. (laughs) You sound like the Grinch. (laughs) I love Um, him. Not the Jim Carrey movie, but the the 45-minute version. Great. Love that. I love the Jim Carrey one. Uh, This, I think for, this has to be in my top 10. It it easily is. And it's just because of everything that I've kind of talked about previously on this episode uh, or earlier in this episode. It's just a feel-good movie that brings back so much nostalgic goodness and I remember everything. It transports me to a different time in my life when I didn't have to worry about bills or stress or whatever, right? I just had to worry about what time Santa was coming and what we were having for, for dinner. So, like, it was, it, it's important for me. And I think that that's uh, the hallmark of a solid Christmas movie is like the time you watch it. Cause I'll make this argument with anybody that criteria for a Christmas film, in my opinion, it can be pretty broad. Um, I think, you know, does it have Christmas as an important element of the plot? Uh, does it take 
place during Christmas or have like Christmas in the title. Um, and then finally, and these are all ands or I'm sorry, these are all ors. You don't have to have all of these uh, three things. And then finally, is it a film or film series that you watch almost exclusively during the holidays? And so for that, I'll argue Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter movies are Christmas movies. Um, and so, and I'll never tell anyone that they're wrong for saying Spaceballs is a Christmas movie or, you know, like absolutely. If, if, if well, I'm you, not saying it's a Christmas movie, it's a no, movie I, I watch. At well, Christmas I, I'm time. using it as an example. Cause I, cause if you were to tell me that I'd be like, sure. Yeah. Because if, if that's your fondest memory of Spaceballs, you're like, yep. Every time family would get together for the holidays, we would put on Spaceballs. And I'm like, that is awesome. And then it would make me want to watch Spaceballs. So it's a great movie. <laughs> it's fantastic. I totally recommend it. Drewish. She doesn't look Drewish. She doesn't look Drewish. <laughs> Have you guys found anything? We haven't found shit. Just <laughs> comb in that desert. Um, I love it so I'm much. Surrounded by yeah. assholes. Surrounded by assholes. Um, okay, hottest takes. Andy, go ahead and defend your hottest, most controversial take on this movie, movies of the genre, actors, time period, score, whatever, whatever. Go ahead. Um, I think that there is no way you could remake this and capture the amount of nostalgia for the targeted audience. Um, so what right now, if you were to make it today, it would be set in the eighties. I don't think there would be enough nostalgia to it would be jingle make- all the way. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie, it would be Jamie. vastly, it would be vastly different because yeah. you'd start introducing things like, Early eight, early eighties cell phones, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. and the consumerism of the eighties, yep. cocaine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> cocaine. Some cocaine. <laughs> but... Nose candy. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, this you can't make a movie like this in a age of consumerism. I guess is like the more broad, broad, um, hot, hot. It's probably not even really a hot take. It's probably, um, but yeah, I think uh, you can't make this type of movie with consumerism anymore. Is the yeah. ultimate hot take. You got it, Amanda. What about you? Okay, here we go. I think we are inundated <laughs> with Christmas movies. I find it a little obnoxious. I need a break. I don't want to have to deal with it everywhere I go. Mm. That is my take. <laughs> So I think you are absolutely right. And but I will defend it a little bit. Um, I think that with the advancement in streaming films, we have way too many um, Hallmark, mm. especially like there's a whole category for cheesy Hallmark holiday movies. They're sure um, Netflix has completely oversaturated the market for it, too. Uh, you know, like a Christmas Prince one through three or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there's like three or four of them. I don't know. But- oh, there's an entire movie universe of royalty themed Christmas movies. Oh, My old roommate and I used to watch them together while drinking. Oh, <laughs> and they all blur because they're all the same. And that's and that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I, I subscribe to what you're saying. It is ridiculous. And even trying to go through the seven different streaming services that I have to, to oh sit God, down and watch yeah. a Christmas movie, I'm like, just give me, you know, for lack of a better example, a Christmas story. Give me something that I know, not something starring the one dude from that soap opera that my mom used to watch or John Stamos or something like that. <laughs> I want to see some good stuff. <laughs> but there are a ton of Christmas movies. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, big great. city girl, small town guy. Oh, Fiance yeah. is coming in to shut down yep. the tree farm. Yep. Oh man, she's too remember, busy, too busy to find love. But I then remember she finds watching love in watching one. Oh, it's the one that the Fran Drescher one. It's one of the few that came out in the last couple of years where it's a gay couple. And I watched it with friends, and we found it so unsatisfying that one guy, you know, big city lawyer, comes home. The other guy is working the Christmas tree stand. But then you learn that the guy working at the Christmas tree shop actually is really, really rich, sold a company, and has retired. And yet he's pushing big city lawyer, who just got a massive promotion in London, to not move to London but stay in Midwest town for him. Bitch, please. You have so much money. You can move to London for a year for this guy to work up his career. If you love him, you would do that. You know why? Because you're a rich Bitch, you don't have any ties. <laughs> Why are you holding him back? Why am I supposed to like that? Fuck no. <laughs> that was my rant on the movie that no one was talking about, but. Yeah. <laughs> I feel your I pain, just, though. I hate that. Give it to me the other way, though. Oh, my God. I watched the most absurd one. It was called A New York Christmas Wedding. If you ever want to see Fetus Angel Ghost, that's your movie. <laughs> it's so weird. Ooh, it's what? so weird. I think I'm good. It's yeah. So weird. I don't think I need to see that. <laughs> it's amazingly weird. <laughs> Thank you it's for screening bonkers. it for me, though, so I don't have to see it. Well, so I used to write a column called Queerly Ever After where I would review mm-hmm. and talk about the history of LGBT cinema, and I would focus specifically on movies with a romantic happy ending. Those movies came out over the last couple of years. I don't really write the column anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I still try to keep track. Um, and so that that's one of them. And, oh, wow. It, it's, it's like a – you know what? There's a really good Slate article breaking down the plot points, going point <laughs> by point and being like, what the fuck did I just watch? This is, this is one of the most bonkers things ever. And it's amazing. It is yeah. so bonkers. I remember I knew the plot – and so I, I sat my fiance and our old roommate down and I said, we're watching this. And just seeing them realize the plot points as they were happening, I was just like, yes. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> this is so insane. Cool. Well, um, my take specifically for this film is this movie is not good, A Christmas Story. It's not good. It's just that we watched it on repeat. TNT like shoved it into our minds and we always thought it was someone else's tradition. So therefore we watched it. Like, does that make any sense? I always thought it was Andy's tradition. So I was like, well, yeah, that's that's I can I can appreciate that. That's why it's good. But Andy thought the same thing about Amanda and then Amanda thought the same thing about me. And so therefore it sneaked into our top 10 lists. Now, that's exactly why it's in my top 10 list. But I don't want to take away from the fact that during a good portion of my life, it was it was there and I remember it. And so for that reason, I think it is a solid film. But overall, like without with taking all that off, it's not a good movie and it's not a good Christmas movie either. TNT just did exactly what they were supposed to do and they jammed that thing on in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you jammed said. it down your throat. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Um, and, cool. Go ahead. Amy. Yeah. I, well, and I wonder if that was a, because it was cheap and so they could run it a ton yeah, of times. I'm wondering if the licensing rights were yeah. just really like, if- I don't know, honestly. Cause that wasn't that, uh, 
It's a Wonderful Life. That's what it was for a long time. Was that movie on a bunch also? Well, was it repeat? It still plays a bunch, but was it on a yeah, 24-hour loop? I want to say there was something with a, It's a Wonderful Life where it was something slipped through the cracks and so every channel could play it because there were no Well, licensing. Night of the Living Dead was never copyrighted properly, so it's public mm-hmm. domain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so. the same with Carnival of Souls. That if you like, if you're watching a movie and you see someone is watching Night of the Living Dead or Carnival of Souls, that's because they didn't have to pay the rights to use that clip because oh, those right. movies are public domain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm curious if it was just it was super cheap to license and so they just threw it on, or it was just this big like studio marketing thing to get it mm-hmm. to become popular I, right because other know. channels would do their their you know day of christmas movies yeah, and they would right. do all the animated classics mm-hmm. yeah all the rudolphs and the uh-huh. santa claus is coming to town the, and, what know. is it the island of lost toys that you yeah. watch and you're like island, yeah. Uh, island of misfit toys yeah this is surprisingly terrifying mm. super sad <laughs> and mm-hmm. the abominable snowman was really scary too <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, then, Amanda, what's your letter grade for uh, Christmas Story? I don't really have nostalgia for this. I didn't enjoy it. I'm gonna go with a D. Wow. Ouch. Yeesh. Andy. I was bored. <laughs> Andy, what's your letter grade? Um, taking into account, so as a film and viewing it with a critical eye, it's a D. Um, as a Christmas movie filled with nostalgia and memories and therefore creates a bias. It's a C, C plus. And again, I think that's important to remember for a specific genre like Christmas films is they're not going to be Oscar winners necessarily. They're going to be just that Christmas films. So for me, I'm setting aside the fact that I just said this movie's not a good movie. Um, <laughs> but for all the other reasons for this past hour and 10 minutes that I've explained, I really enjoy this movie. And so for that, I give it a C plus. So I'm there with the IMDb score of the 7.9 out of 10. It's about a C plus for me. Um, and, and it is something like Andy said, I'm going to rewatch it every year. Uh, I just have to, I just have to, I have to watch it at least once a year. Um, and even if I, you know, it's passive, like I'll, I'll laugh at certain moments. I always laugh at like when they cut the head off the Peking duck, like that's <laughs> always hilarious. And you know, the old man was a Turkey junkie. I say that every time I have Turkey, <laughs> I seriously say it in my head. I'm like, the old man was a Turkey junkie. Um, I love it. So yeah, that's a C plus for me. Cool. Well, that's the show. Um, let's do this. Amanda, <laughs> what are you working on? Where can we find you on the socials? As I said, I'm I'm just dealing with deliverables for distribution for my feature, Perfectly Good Moment, which is on the socials as PGM Movie on Twitter and Perfectly Good Moment on Instagram. I am at Amanda Jane Stern on both Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's my public page. Um, Those are the socials. I'm still working on that uh, short Friends Not Food. Um, Early development on a horror thing. And then I write pitches for true crime TV development. So I sit at home and write about murderers. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross me. No, I, it's all people who did not get away with murder. So there you go. Andy, thanks for being on the show. What, uh, yeah, what are you working on? Where can we find you on social media? Uh, I am currently in the midst of the busiest time of year in the grocery industry. Um, so I am busy working a lot. Um, Outside of that, 
I am not too active on uh, formerly Twitter or Instagram, but you can find me at Nerdy Parka um, on both of those. And then uh, if I ever get time again, I also stream video games on Twitch occasionally at Project Parka. So um, every now and then I pop on there and play something and hang out. And your OnlyFans. Make sure you give that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My my link tree is in, in Instagram and Twitter. So it's literally just, just a website where there's just box fans and tower fans and <laughs> they're just on repeat. They're blowing. Ceiling fans. <laughs> Ceiling yeah. fans. Yeah. So much you blowing. You know what? You, so much you blowing. could like you could create a weird channel on OnlyFans and make money. It's like the guy who had the the Pornhub account where it's just him holding his girlfriend's hand. Aw. Yeah. It was really wholesome. Uh people were streaming full movies on Pornhub, like not yep. porn movies, like actual like Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean or something. They'd like just stream it. It's like, sweet. Oh, the amount of times that <laughs> Hamilton got uploaded to Pornhub awesome. in its entirety, yeah. That's incredible. I love it. Um, okay, well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at dbcrazypod and at zachdale60 where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, and tell us if we are crazy. Or send us funny YouTube links or Pornhub links or memes. Don't send Pornhub. That's bad. Um, just make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. So thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy, and happy holidays, you filthy animals.